Ben Ingram of the Braves Radio Network and 680 The Fan and uh, big offseason in Braves country. But before we get into offseason updates on what's going on in Atlanta, uh, Ben, I want to get your thoughts on the uh, the Hall of Fame. Uh, the class of 2019 was just released, and for the first time ever, a uh, person is selected in at unanimous 100% Mariano Rivera. What are your thoughts on that? I'm glad it finally happened. It, it was good to see that, and I was wondering if that would ever happen, and I understand uh, some logic by some writers, but I think what uh, the, the thing that really bothered me the most is we got to a point where I felt like there are so many writers who had a look-at-me mentality. And it's not about the writers. It's not about us. It's not about those people who have opinions on such things and, and really uh, why they feel a certain way. It's about the player. Uh, and, and I think for Mariano Rivera, he, he should not have been the first, but I'm glad that he is. I think there are several guys that through the years should have been unanimous decisions, and they were not. And uh, I, I think if you go back 20, 30 years ago, and, and you have someone like uh, Hank Aaron, and there are, there are writers who would say, well, Babe Ruth wasn't unanimous, so I can't make this guy unanimous. And that was the logic for the longest time. But now with social media and individual accounts and, and Twitter and things like that, I think there are writers who wanted to make it about them. And that's really a shame. So I'm glad that they were able to unite and do this to have a, a, our first ever 100% vote. And I feel like this should happen again very soon with Derek Jeter and some other guys who will be going to the Hall of Fame in the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I think we share the same thought process uh, in the fact that should he have been the first unanimous? Absolutely not. But are you happy he was? Yes, because hopefully it will trend in the right direction for Jeter and other players who will be on the ballot in the next couple of years and for the foreseeable future. Uh, what are your thoughts on first ballot, second ballot, third ballot, all, all that ordeal? I mean, in my opinion, if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer. You shouldn't wait. But I know writers in the past say, well, he's a Hall of Famer, but let's wait a couple of years till the you know the second or third year before we induct him in. Right. It's, it's almost like this is a ranking system. It's almost as if there are different tiers of the Hall of Fame. And, and until there are, um, I don't understand. I'm with you on that. I feel like we have gotten to the point where we filter these guys through different channels of first ballot, second ballot, last ballot kind of guys. And if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer. What I care about is that, is that the Hall of Fame, which is really just a museum, is a place where we can honor the greatest who have ever played the game. I mean, really, the 1% of the 1% actually get to be major league players, and only 1% of those guys end up making it to the Hall of Fame. There's only a few, a few hundred Hall of Famers. So I guess it, it does make some sense to a degree to where you have to take some time to, to really put a guy's career under the microscope. But should that take three, four, five, ten years? I don't know. You know I look at uh, a guy like Edgar Martinez, and it, it's, I think if Edgar Martinez plays in a different place, it's probably not his tenth year on the ballot before he actually goes in. Um, and I think you could say the same thing about several guys. And I think what happened this year is really historic because – Harold Baines goes in, and if Harold Baines becomes a Hall of Famer, or to me that opens the door to so many guys who I didn't consider to be Hall of Famers in my own personal book. So it's an interesting crossroads that we have we have stepped across here from 2018 to 2019, and seeing the guys who are put into the into this year's class. So I'm curious to see how that affects guys down the road. But yeah, with the different ballots and things like that, it is. Uh, maybe it's the best of what we have right now, but I feel that there has to be a better system, a better way of, of, of knowing who Hall of Famers are and who they are not. I've always said to myself, if I have to think too hard about a guy, he's probably not in the Hall of Fame. I think you know who the Hall of Famers are. You know who the dominant players were per each generation. 
and, and with the guys who went in this this previous class with Rivera, Halliday, and Musina, those three alone, I felt those guys were dominant. Uh, they're, they're some of the dominant players of their generation. For Edgar Martinez, I could say the same thing about him if you want to narrow it down to him being just a designated hitter. And maybe that's where some people had a problem with, with, with putting him in because he did not field a position. And he, you could not say, well, he's one of the best first baseman or third baseman or whatever position you wanted to put him in uh, over a certain period of time. But when I think of Roy Halladay, when I think of Mike Mussina, Mariano Rivera, they're the best of the best. Uh, I'd say the same thing for Kurt Schilling. And I think that, that he gets vilified for uh, maybe some of his political stances and who he is off the field. I really don't care about any of that stuff. I, I, if I voted for everyone who I agreed with politically or otherwise, uh, the field would be significantly smaller. But I care about what the player was on the field. And uh, I think there, there are several guys that I would, uh, I, I would give it a vote to who did not make it in this year. Fred McGriff would be one of those guys. I think there are a few other guys in, in, that, in this year's class that, I, that would have had my vote uh, that, did, that did not make the cut. So um, I, I guess at the end of the day, you get to the point where are, are we going to, if we're voting for everybody that we feel deserves to be in, are we willing to have 10, 12, 15 men classes to where they're all in on the first ballot? I don't know. It seems like baseball wants it, wants it to be three to six guys every single year, and, and that's it. Maybe that's the biggest reason for the, the different years of, of ballots and guys going in on their uh, however many years they've been on the ballot. But it, it, it's, it's far from a perfect process, and I agree with you. And I think there are definitely strides that could be made to perfect, to perfect this thing and, and make it more streamlined. Guest show with Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network, and 680 The Fan down there in Atlanta. And uh, a couple more Hall of Fame questions, Ben. I'm... I, for me, I feel like, you know, when you look at the guys in the steroid era, obviously seventh year on the ballot, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, they didn't get the vote to get in. And then you continue, you know, Andy Pettit's down there. This was only his first year on the ballot, however, but Manny Ramirez, those guys didn't get the votes to get in. But, you know, especially for the case for Bonds and Clemens, they're Hall of Famers. I view the Hall, like you just said, as a museum of the game. You put those guys in, and you simply link them saying they played during the steroid era. They were linked to steroids, but you still recognize that. What's your thought process on the guys in the steroid era that are deservingly uh, to be in the Hall of Fame? Well, there's there's a few different avenues on this thing, and it's really interesting. You can't paint all these guys with one broad stroke. I view Bonds differently than how I view Sammy Sosa. I don't think Sammy Sosa was ever a Hall of Famer, all-star caliber player until uh, the, the steroid use. Yeah. That, that's my opinion on him. I think Barry Bonds, prior to 1998, had a Hall of Fame career. And, and I think by all accounts, it appears that 99-2000 is, is when he started to, to get into PEDs. So it, it's really difficult to, to draw the lines on these guys. I feel like you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Roger Clemens, to me, had a, had a Hall of Fame career, and it looked like that career was coming to an end around 96, 97. He goes to Toronto. All of a sudden, he's a Cy Young Award winner again. He has another six or seven years where he's racking up strikeouts and Cy Youngs and, and going to the World Series, and, and it appears that that was the era where he was taking PEDs. I, I don't know what the answer is. I truly don't, because I understand how these guys, looking at their careers, had a very significant impact on the game, uh, whether, they, whether it was a, a famous impact or, or an infamous impact. And I think you could make the case for, for it being both at different times in their career. I understand the, 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 the purists who would say, well, these guys had advantages that, that Babe Ruth and, and Stan Musial and Willie Mays never had. 
And I understand that, but whether it was PEDs or otherwise, there are always going to be advantages that, that one generation has over the other as the game continues to evolve. So I really don't, I really don't know the answer to that. But I do know, know that there are different tiers uh, of how I would rank those guys. And I think I'd be much more open to listening to a case for Clemens or Bonds than I would uh, versus McGuire or Sosa or uh, anyone else you want to throw in there who maybe uh, became something other than what they originally were with the PEDs. I know that they take them for a reason. And I, I know for, I have friends who, who have taken PEDs, who played ball using PEDs, and who uh, were in weightlifting competitions uh, using PEDs and things like that. And, and I understand the significant difference that it makes. Uh, so it, it, would, it would really take a lot of thought and a lot of sitting down to try to figure this thing out for those guys. And I don't have an answer on exactly where I stand with those guys, because I agree with you up to a certain point in those guys' careers, they are off to hall of fame careers. And I think that Barry Bonds is the most talented baseball player I've ever seen in my entire life. And it is interesting to me that we did get to see baseball's most talented player on the most advanced PEDs that the world had seen to that time. I mean, it was almost, uh, it, was, it was superhuman. I mean, the, the numbers that guy put up, he would see one pitch a night and would still hit the ball out of the ballpark. It was really extraordinary. But what it means for the game, I don't know. And I, 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 to, to this day, I don't think the game really has an answer for where those guys stand historically in the game, so much so that their answer is, well, we don't really know, so we're just going to let the 10 years elapse on these guys and maybe they get in with the veterans committee one day. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I do think you're going to see a younger generation of voters in the next couple of years start to vote for those guys. Will it be enough to get them to 75%? I'm not sure. Uh, but there is a specific place in this game for them. And I think that regardless of whether they are inducted into the Hall of Fame or not, we will be talking about that era and the players who led to that era, same as, as uh, guys 90 years ago, talking about what happened uh, in the 1919 World Series with the Black Sox scandal. I, I think there are certain periods of baseball where you have drawn up heroes and villains. And, and I think what those guys did, Clemens and Bonds, et cetera, really, in my opinion, further emphasizes what Ken Griffey Jr. was able to do and what Frank Thomas was able to do and what Chipper Jones was able to do, guys who were never linked to PEDs. Uh, to me, those guys stand out uh, wearing the white hat even more so as a hero than, than they already were. So it, it's an interesting era, and it's one that I think we'll have several opinions on and have several discussions about probably for the rest of our lives. Ben, you brought up the Veterans Committee, and a guy that's going to be leaning heavily on that committee uh, now in the future is Fred McGriff. Tenth year on the ballot, only 39.8% of the votes, 169 total. Uh, thoughts on Fred McGriff getting snubbed again, and uh, do you believe, uh, obviously I would assume you believe he's a Hall of Famer, and if so, uh, when do you think he should have been inducted? That's a great question. And, and, and here's where I stand on McGriff. When I think of Fred McGriff, do I think of Hall of Fame player? Probably so. When I see other guys who are in the Hall of Fame, it, even, it only emphasizes Fred McGriff even more. I, there, there are Hall of Famers with a lower, on base, lower career on base percentage than Fred McGriff. There are Hall of Famers with a lower uh, career slugging and OPS and home runs and RBIs than Fred McGriff. He, he doesn't have one specific number where you'd say that's his Hall of Fame ticket. Now, he's close with home runs. He's seven home runs away from 500, and, and, and he was robbed. If, if, if there's not the strike in 1994, 
you mean to tell me there's not another seven home runs in there somewhere if he gets yeah. an opportunity to play another 50 games? I feel like there is. And that gets him to 500. This is a guy who had over 1,500 RBIs. That's a benchmark to me. I think if you clear 1,500 RBIs, that says Hall of Fame to me. Uh, he was right around 2,500 base hits. That, that's a pretty good number to me. Um, a little bit short on the doubles. I, I like around 600 doubles on a career line to, to, to signal uh, Hall of Fame. But what I'm getting at is, is I mean, this is a guy. This is a guy who had a, a career uh, 500 more slugging percentage. His OPS was almost 900 for his career. Uh, this guy had numbers that are better than guys who are in Cooperstown. And, and I, I don't know if it's the lack of all-star game appearances. He was an all-star five times. He was never an MVP, uh, a World Series champion, just just the one go-round with the Braves in 1995. But this guy had, to me, Hall of Fame numbers. And I think if you do the blind number test, eliminate the name, and just show me the number line, just show me the stat line compared to other guys who are in the Hall of Fame, I think that line would stand out as a Hall of Fame career. So that, that's my opinion, and I think we all view Hall of Famers as, as, as different things. I think what I think is a Hall of Famer and what the guy down the street thinks is a Hall of Famer can be different things, and what we're pairing these up guys up against and comparing them to uh, can can be different person to person, uh, and it's it's a very very subjective uh, ordeal. And but for my for my uh, for my taste, Fred McGriff is a Hall of Famer, and I feel if there is a way for Harold Baines to get, I think there's a way for Fred McGriff. Let me go further into this with, with the Harold Baines thing. I, I don't mean to, to vilify Harold Baines or, or or diminish his career. The guy had a phenomenal career. Uh, and he's a great human being. I, I've heard nothing but great things from folks who have been around him in what was a long, illustrious career. But it seems to me from talking to folks that when it comes to this Veterans Committee, the, the one guy who had a personal agenda for Harold Baines was Tony LaRusso. So my question is, is, is there someone who could be on the Veterans Committee that would have an agenda to get Fred McGriff on there? And I, I think when these guys meet, and they meet several times and have several conference calls and meet uh, individually, I think these guys have in their mind, this was a, a great player. This is a guy who I really enjoyed managing or being around or playing with or whatever it may be. And they can really use that agenda and push it to the rest of the crew and, and make a case for that person. If they can convince the majority of that committee to, to throw their vote in, well, that person is going to be a Hall of Famer. So it, it's not just the numbers, I think, that have to talk for Fred McGriff. I think he has to have someone on that veterans committee who is a big Fred McGriff fan, a big fan of not just his career, but who he is personally, which is extremely easy to be. Fred's great. He's one of my favorite people in the game, and I love getting to see him at spring training and through the season. But if he has a very strong advocate who makes it their mission on that veterans committee to get Fred McGriff uh, a vote, I'd say the same thing for Dale Murphy. Uh, That's what it would take to get him into Cooperstown or anyone else. That To me, that's what we're dealing with. And while the Veterans Veterans Committee can be a really good thing, I really feel like it, it, these guys are in a position where if they if they want to play favorites, they can, regardless of what the numbers say, and they can get a guy through into Cooperstown. So that's what that committee has opened the door to, and I think that's what it would take for Fred McGriff. Ben, I was in Atlanta at the tail half of December, actually uh, down there when they had the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, and you had a good call on that as well. Um, and uh, you kept hearing promos on 680 The Fan, you know, promoting the start of the season, buy season tickets now, it's going to be a great year. And not only is there a lot of hype and uh, just excitement around this Braves team, and rightfully so, uh, reigning National League East Division winners, but uh, kind of a musical chairs, new facelift to the Braves Radio Network, as well as Fox Sports South, 
and Southeast uh, TV team, uh, you know, with the, with the talent shifting around. Uh, of course, you know, you and Jim Powell handle the play-by-play duties, and Don Sutton now is going to be joined by Joe Simpson a little bit, a little bit of Jeff Francoeur. How excited are you for the, uh, the cast and crew on the Braves Radio Network this season? Well, I'm thrilled. I mean, this is, this is a year that I've been thinking about my entire life, really. I mean, and what I've gotten to do the last eight years of the Braves have been a blast, and, and obviously I've hosted the pre- and the post-game show and gotten to fill in uh, whenever Jim was out. So I might get a dozen to 20 games over the course of a season. Call and play-by-play is what I love to do more than anything. Yeah. But this is, a, this is a different deal, and this is where I get to do a whole lot more and be, a, be one of those guys. And I'll still be doing pre and post for games I'm not in the booth, but I'll be in the booth uh, a pretty good amount. And getting to work with Don and Jim and Joe, I mean, there's so much baseball knowledge there. And I'm the new I'm the new guy on the block, and you know I'm 38, and these guys have been doing this for most of my life already. And just the opportunity to get in there and soak up uh, their knowledge of, of broadcasting the game is is a tremendous treat for me. And I can't get enough of that. And I just love being a sponge around those guys and, and tapping into their expertise and their wisdom and their experiences in the game. And then furthermore, just getting to, to call play-by-play at the major league level. I, I can remember being in the second grade and knowing that's exactly what I wanted to do with my life. And to pursue that and see it come true is is just a tremendous blessing and, and something that uh, I, I've worked very hard for, so I'm, I'm really excited for the opportunity. And then you add on to the fact that the Braves won the division last year. Um, high expectations, not just this season, but for the next several years. And, and I'm from the South. I'm from Mississippi and grew up in Braves country. And it's just uh, a blast for me to be able to think about getting to do all that in the region in which I grew up. So it, it'll be great. And I know there are a lot of people who tune in and, and want to, uh, hear us talk about their team, and that's our job is to bring uh, Braves country their team and tell them the stories of these players in this upcoming season, and I can't wait to illustrate that on the radio. Yeah, I'm one of those guys, uh, the MLB at Bad App. Every single night I tune in, and you guys do a fantastic job. Real quick, I'll let you go, and I appreciate you taking uh, nearly 20 minutes of your time to, to, to talk with me here. Uh, you said 15 to 20 games routinely over the last eight years, which you would get in the booth calling play-by-play, filling in for for Jim Powell, but now with this promotion, how many games? I know you probably don't have it down to the, to, to the exact number, but how many games do you think will be called play by play this year? Yeah, that, that's a number that I'm still waiting to hear. <laughs> it's it's going it's to kind of uh, it, it depends on what Don is, is going to be able to do. And, and Don had some health issues last year, so a lot of this is getting in there and seeing how he feels. By all accounts, his health is significantly better right now than it was a year ago. That he was just struggling with some with some medication and stuff uh, a year ago. So I'm guessing somewhere in the ballpark of between 50 and 80 games would be my assumption. I know that's a pretty big window yeah. uh, to give you for an answer, but somewhere in that window is is where it's going to land. And whatever they decide to use me, I, I'm I'm thrilled by, uh, thrilled about it. And uh, I know we're gonna have a good time with those with that cast. Well, Ben, I appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on the promotion. Obviously, I'll be tuning in each and every night. Thanks for your thoughts on the Hall of Fame, and I can't wait to have you back on the show uh, soon in the future. My pleasure. Anytime. I appreciate it.